This is On Location. I'm Tim Leitner. Today's episode comes to you on location from North Dakota, Michigan, and Alaska. But first, On Location is produced by the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Mamlin and me. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Breaker, and Radio Public, among others. So subscribe today on your favorite podcast service and tell all your friends. On this episode, Pat O'Donnell of Young Williams has a conversation with Carol Beecher, the director of the Alaska Child Support Services Division, Lee Beerkley, North Dakota Child Support Assistant Director for Customer Service, and Michelle Cristello, Director of the Massachusetts Child Support Program. They talk about how their programs provide customer service and how government agencies experience unique challenges. They discuss how different states are delivering customer service to their participants in a time of COVID. Listen as they share their responsibilities and their stories of what led them to the Child Support Program. It's going to be a great show, so stick around, and we'll be right back. Welcome to NCEA On Location. Hi, I'm Pat O'Donnell with Young Williams, and I'll be your host for today's conversation. Our topic is customer service. How we service customers is so important. We all know when we've experienced great service and how we feel at the conclusion of the transaction. In child support programs, providing timely and informative customer service is a program imperative. According to govloop.com, Customers today are proactive. They do their research and take control of their journey. They can either sing your praises on social media and other feedback channels, or make it loud and clear that they're very unhappy. The bar for great experiences is high. 73% of consumers say one extraordinary experience raises their expectations of other organizations. Government agencies face unique challenges And today we'll be exploring how three different states are delivering customer service to their child support program participants. Joining us are Carol Beecher of Alaska, Lee Beerkley of North Dakota, and Michelle Cristello of Massachusetts. Before we get into our topic in detail, I'd like to ask each of you to share a little of your background and your responsibilities in your current position. Carol, let's start with you. Can you share a little bit about what you do and how you came to be in your current position? All right. Thanks, Pat. And thank you for inviting me to take part in the podcast. So in some ways, my life story is actually one of remote service delivery. I grew up in a logging camp on an island in southeast Alaska, and remote delivery was an everyday part of life. 
we didn't have telephones or televisions and the mail was a only came once a week and our groceries and things like that were delivered by a boat so we learned to uh get everything remotely and uh skippy in a few years ahead i uh, became the director of the alaska child support program in 2014 and our program is fully state run we don't have any counties or field offices and our program is centrally located in the city of anchorage and while Alaska is geographically big, our population is fairly small, on par with North and South Dakota, Wyoming. And that means that I am pretty much involved in everything and uh, continue to learn new things every day. This uh, is greatly helped by being surrounded by terrific, smart, and dedicated staff. And we all share a unified vision of making our program the best it can be to serve our families. And so with my experience in remote service delivery, which is an experience uh, that is shared by, I think, many Alaskans, you basically if you choose to live in paradise, you deal with the realities of that decision. You don't have necessarily high internet um, speeds or quick access, but you definitely get used to that and you learn how to deal with your realities. Thank you, Carol. Lee, can you share a little bit about your career journey? Absolutely. Thanks, Pat. So I'm the Assistant Director for Customer Service with North Dakota's Child Support Program. I'm one of three Assistant Directors. I started with Child Support in 1998, um, and I was in the State Disbursement Unit at the time. Over time, my scope has broadened and my responsibilities have increased. Today, I manage the State Disbursement Unit, the Customer Service Unit, the administrative support team, employer and vendor relations, and I'm responsible for basically everything outward facing. This includes our website and our IVR. Like others in small states, I wear many hats, but I think it gives me a, a great perspective on the program. I see how the many pieces come together. Sure, that makes perfect sense. Michelle, can you share with our audience what led you into child support? Sure. So I have been in the Massachusetts Child Support Program for over 28 years. So I became the 4D director uh, in 2015. Prior to that, I held a number of different roles within the Department of Revenue, Child Support Enforcement Division. I started, you know, not long out of grad school and focused a lot of time around reporting and analysis and systems work. In 2012, I became the initiative director for our major child support enhancement project. And then in 2015, I became the 4D director and continued working on that system project, which we implemented in 2018. So I've kind of been around for a long time within the Massachusetts Child Support Agency in very different areas across the program. So I've seen a lot and learned a lot over the years. And I'm excited that, you know, I, it, it kind of all culminated in 2015, becoming the director. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, you each have such interesting and diverse backgrounds. And I know you each bring a lot of really great insights into the child support program within your states. Within the child support program, efforts have been ongoing to provide more virtual self-service options, making interactions more convenient and less burdensome. So for the first part of our conversation, let's focus on all things technology. 
The global COVID pandemic exacerbated the need for self-service options. But what does that really mean? What virtual tools are being used in each of your states and how accessible are those tools for program participants? And if you could each share a little bit about what you've done in reaction to COVID, that would be really helpful. So Carol, let's start with you. So in Alaska, COVID, like the rest of the states, changed our world. And we went from everyone working on site and just, you know, the standard methods of communicating the emails or you get up and you walk over to the person and talk to them. And then suddenly we were confronted with sending people home when having never teleworked as a program. And we started using tools that we had never really used. And initially we started out with every kind of chat feature, et cetera, that was out there and then ended up finding that we had so many venues that our staff were talking on that we couldn't keep track. And so we tried to narrow it down to one to streamline it and to try to make sure we weren't missing anything. And so we ended up using Teams primarily for our tool for meetings, chats, and and that kind of thing. So as far as accessibility for our program, as far as our staff, Teams is very accessible. We all have it. We're all using it all the time now. But as far as our clients go, we had actually moved away a while ago from having people walk in. So we were already communicating using email and telephones and that kind of thing. So we stayed with that primarily. So they do not have the benefit of using Teams or those kinds of tools in our program at this point. Okay, well, that makes sense, sure. So Lee, what about in North Dakota? Well, North Dakota's move to a virtual environment started in 2015. Our strategic plan that year included an initiative to develop what we labeled a virtual office. And at the highest level, the goal was to have a robust website that allowed parents and partners to do online anything that they would be able to do at one of our offices, except, of course, genetic testing. So in 2015, the vision was that this virtual office would be an additional platform for customers, for parents and partners, but eventually it started involving into more of a primary platform when we went to a by appointment only business model. So we moved to a business model where customers could arrange an appointment to meet with one of our case managers or meet with his or her case manager. When COVID hit, the the by appointment only business model uh, was suspended and it's, we are not going to bring it back. We are going to stay with our virtual office platform because we found that it's been working and customers have adjusted. So our virtual office platform is basically a robust website. On our website, parents can log in and review their case-specific information. They can provide demographic updates, fill out certain forms. They can make payments. They can initiate contact by email. Employers can remit payments, can report new hires, can report terminations and layoffs. And other strategic partners can also interact with child support in their specific areas. That's really helpful. Thank you, Lee. Michelle, what are you doing in Massachusetts? So in Massachusetts, prior to 
COVID hitting, we certainly were trying to push our customers to self-service options. I mentioned earlier, we had implemented a new system in 2018, and that included an updated customer website, some updated call center technology and IVR, or an improved IVR. And so we were really pushing our customers to do self-service options with the idea that we really wanted to minimize that in-person customer service with the exception of appearing in court to establish an order or modify an order or GMT testing, really a customer does not need to come into our offices in person at all, but they did. And that was sort of a little bit of a hard nut for us to break. We're a geographically small state, but a little bit higher population than North Dakota and Alaska. But we had about 1,100 customers a week that would walk into our offices and hundreds more would come into our courthouses. And there was just a lot of overhead to this. We, we tried our best to minimize it, but we weren't having much luck. And then the pandemic came and closed our offices. So obviously, as much as the pandemic has been horrible, that was an opportunity for us to really shift and get to the place where we wanted, where we really wanted more of that virtual self-service kind of thing. You know, we provided our information to our customers, how to reach us, how to self-serve, all this other stuff. But we knew we probably needed to do something else than just tell them, you know, how to, how to, how to reach us through our 1-800 number or our website, right? So we um, did implement a, a new thing in Massachusetts that we call our virtual counter. We knew that everybody had been forced to change the way they engaged with one another as a result of the pandemic. So it was a really great opportunity for us to introduce something new. And we did implement this virtual counter and we used Zoom as the tool. We were using like Carol, Microsoft Teams in, internally for our own staff, but that was not something that we could use with the public. So we procured Zoom license and used the breakout room functionality to, and, and launched a virtual counter primarily wanting to get at those customers who used to just walk into the office to try to um, resolve a, a, a license issue or enter into a payment agreement or something like that. We thought that would really benefit from the face-to-face -face that customers could have with our staff. So customers can click, click on our Zoom link, they come into a virtual waiting room, they're greeted by one of our staff and then directed to a breakout room to meet with a caseworker and to resolve their issue. Customers can either use video or not, and we use electronic signatures on payment agreements and things like that to engage with our customers in this more virtual way. Um, we started out really slow and really limited the number of customers that we gave the link to because we were sort of trying it out. But now we have a QR code on our website. We have handouts, posters, information in our newsletter, things like that. And we've really got a, a number of customers that are now coming into our virtual counter every day. And or we're actually only open three days a week, but every day that we're open. We did recently uh, reopen our offices to the public in a very limited way. But what we did was we set up laptops in those walk-in areas and we directed customers to go to the virtual counter. The idea being show them how it works and then hopefully the next time they don't come back and they, they just go into their, you know, call us from their living room. And so that's that's a big thing that we've done. We've we've served over 2000 customers on the virtual counter, most of them in the last few months. 
And, you know, we get about 80 or 90 customers a day that call into our virtual counter. So it's it's been kind of, it's been a challenge, but it's been really interesting and exciting. It sounds like you took the opportunity to really think about re-engineering your whole process. I think we were forced to, and yeah. that was a good thing. Yeah, it was the silver lining. Uh, yep. It is the silver lining in a time of great distress. Yep. Embarking on program enhancement projects is usually a multi-month or a multi-year effort requiring detailed analysis, collaboration, and debate before you reach an agreement on what you want to do and when. Early in the pandemic and in the subsequent months, you've had to move very quickly and didn't have a lot of time for the normal workflow and analysis process. Can you share how you selected technology-based customer service alternatives and what those tools are? Well, you've shared some of that, so if you want to expound on that, that would be great. Um, and how you and your teams plan for rapid implementations to provide continuity of service, which was so critical to all of the participants. Michelle, you, you shared some of your platform. Um, maybe you can talk about your process and how you made those decisions and went through a very rapid implementation. Sure. Um, as I mentioned, we had recently implemented a new system. So we were a bit more well positioned with our website, with our IVR, and our call center technology. So for continuity of service, that was how we made, made sure that our customers could still reach us. That being said, we did feel like we needed to do more. And, and so with our virtual counter, we definitely planned quickly. Um, we did not spend months doing detailed analysis. We did not spend months looking at different products and deciding what's best. You know, what we did do was look to our partner agencies to see, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, and, and, and looked to each other because we were all in the same boat. And, and what they were doing, and could we steal something? The probate and family court in Massachusetts implemented a virtual registry using Zoom so that customers could you know, get served at the courthouse. We jumped right on that. We saw what they were doing, and we decided you know, Zoom was something that was relatively simple to get up and running. Getting the licenses is, was not a big deal, and getting staff trained on it was not that difficult. So we just went with it. I, I would absolutely say there were moments where we felt like we were, you know, duct taped together, but um, we're now taking the opportunity to refine. And that's what we've been focused on for, the, I say, the last month or so and going forward. Okay, we did it. We band-aided it up. We got it up and running. Now let's make it better. So yeah. it is definitely a different approach. This is definitely not the standard, let's think, plan, and, and do things according to, to the normal schedule. But again, we were in a difficult position and we were taking advantage of, of, of an opportunity handed to us. Sure, sure, absolutely. Carol, did any of your implementation processes change or accelerate based on COVID as you looked toward the Alaska program? Um, um, our story is very similar to, I think, probably North Dakota and Massachusetts in that, you know, it, it happened quickly. And so we were kind of scrambling around to figure out how can we make this work and work well because we were already, um, we didn't have people walking in. They were already used to that. And we were already, you know, putting more things on our website and having our staff train to train our clients to use those kinds of things. That wasn't as big of a learning curve for us, but 
there's a, a lot of different technologies. We looked at things like Zoom, but we, because uh, we have to work within the security constraints and all those discussions is a broader topic with our state that um, we didn't have a lot of autonomy to make choices on tools that were essentially public reaching if they reached into our systems at all. We had to have a centralized thing. So we did a lot like Massachusetts where we reached out to our other agencies and said, hey, what are you guys doing? Looking at what's working and everything. I would say we still have a fairly old system. And so we are not as agile. We're not at all agile, actually, um, as we would like to be and and desire to be and our vision is to be. But uh, we were able to work with what we have and and love hearing from states like uh, Massachusetts and what they're doing there and in North Dakota um, and, you know, liberally copy. Absolutely. The highest form of flattery, right? That's right. So does the approach to serving urban customers in your states differ from rural customers? I know in Alaska and North Dakota, you've got a lot of rural areas. Michelle, you've got a very highly populated area in the Boston and the surrounding communities, and then Western Massachusetts is more rural. So do you see any difference? Michelle, we'll start with you. Okay. We definitely um, see differences in the reaction to our different options to communicate with us between our urban areas and some of our more remote areas. Our approach doesn't change, but, you know, we, for example, in the past, our largest ne number of people who would walk into our offices were really in those urban centers. We had a, the largest number of people walking into sort of remote courthouses in our rural areas. But our approach didn't change. We just had different expectations. You know, Massachusetts obviously is very different from North Dakota and Alaska in that even our rural isn't nearly as rural um, as as certainly as Alaska and North Dakota both, but our approach doesn't change. We just see how it plays out a little bit differently. Sure, that makes sense. Uh, Lee, what about in North Dakota? Um, just like Michelle said, our approach doesn't change. We are generally a rural state. Our virtual office is designed to serve all customers, so we really don't differentiate between urban and rural customers. Our website is built with responsive design, so it's easy to navigate from any type of device. We know that more and more customers are carrying smartphones and various electronic devices, and so being built in, in, in responsive design allows customers to access and use our website from any device. We also have a call center that's available to serve those customers who just aren't aren't comfortable working with our virtual office. And our car, call center, were, um, team members were telecommuting even pre-pandemic. So when the pandemic hit, our call center just really was our customer's lifeline to child support as, as our case managers and office attorneys were transitioning to different work locations. Yeah. So again, our, our approach doesn't really change as we're developing technologies for urban versus rural customers. Okay, well, thank you for that, Lee. Carol, I know there's, Anchorage is your largest city. Yeah. Do you see any difference in how people interact with you from an, a city perspective versus the more outlying areas? 
Um, there are those who would say that even the city is not really a city. <laughs> However, However. Um, when we first started, uh, first of all, we closed, we had a couple um, field offices that we closed. And then as we you know, became more centralized as we are now, and then moving away from, you know, even having people walk in. Those were some of the questions that were asked of us by legislators, by the governor um, of, you know, what are you going to do about these people who live out in really remote areas where the access to even the internet can be a challenge? And our response to that was that we would make available to them everything that we had before, that if they need something mailed, if they needed it printed, etc. That, that we were happy to do that. They just needed to let us know what their preference was. And what we found was that people tend to like internet. They like, even though internet in general is slower here, I'm told, because uh, when people come up here from the lower 48, they uh, uh, comment on how slow it is, but it's our norm. In Anchorage, it seems fast to us. I'm sure it's way slower in the villages, but People are able to use it. They can go to the libraries. The schools generally have access to the internet. And it really is quite rare anymore for us to get a request for something needing to be mailed to people. So uh, we, uh, aside from the occasional mail thing, we really don't have any difference in the way that we approach uh, serving them, except being sensitive to whether or not they actually have access and figuring out a way to get them what they need. Sure, of course. Thank you. So what aspects of your customer service solution work most effectively based on what you've learned so far? Lee? So I think offering a variety of electronic payment methods for parents and for employers has worked well for us as our collections have remained steady over the past 18 months. Some of the payment methods that we have were available pre-pandemic and we've launched new payment methods um, in the last year or so, uh, one of which it allows parents to make payments online electronically without incurring any sort of convenience fee, and, and that seems to be very popular. I'm sure. <laughs> Carol, do you have any, any uh, comments you'd like to add? Uh, I would say the, probably the one that has been most effective, partly given the direction that we were going is the ability for our clients to make appointments. Uh, and they, they, we don't have walk-ins anymore, but they can make appointments to talk with their caseworker and they can either do it by phone or an, you know, an email conversation. But that seems to have really worked well for our clients and knowing that they can do it at their convenience. They don't need to come all the way downtown or wait until they fly into Anchorage for some business thing that they can set it up at a time that works for them. It also works really well for our caseworkers because then they can schedule their day around that instead of um, having things interrupted. They can have a block of time that they schedule for that. So I think that that's probably been the um, solution that's worked the most effectively so far. Well, that's great. That's, a, that, that's very, very helpful. Thank you. And you kind of gave me a perfect segue into the next question, which is what are the benefits of this approach for families and for your other stakeholders. Uh, so Carol, thank you for sharing that from the Alaska point of view. Michelle, what would you say is the benefit that you've seen uh, in Massachusetts? I would say the, the more options is the better for families, right? It's we being able to, you know, as Lee said, pay in many different ways. 
being able to contact us in many different ways. It's much more convenient, you know, for us having the ability to speak quote unquote face to face with one of our caseworkers, even though it's virtually and not have to leave your house, not have to take time out of work, not have to address a childcare issue by, you know, trying to make your way to our office or one of our courthouses or something. Um, I think just gives our families much more, you know, it's much more convenient and, and, and easier for them. And I think that's, you know, we, they benefit, we benefit, you know, if you give sure. them many payment options, you're going to get more payments. If you give them opportunity, many opportunities to engage with you, you're going to engage with them and be able to resolve their case. So um, I think that, that I think the more options and more convenience, the better for our families. Sure, that makes sense. Lee, any final thoughts on this topic? Well, I think one of the benefits to families with having the, the virtual office is that they, the families now have 24 access to their case information. And in some ways, they actually have 24 act 24 seven access to child support. They can initiate a conversation to us. They, they can, you know, propose questions at a time that's convenient for them. Of course, our team members aren't going to be able to respond except for during normal business hours, but the, the customer can access their case 24-7. An employer can log on and do their business 24-7. A customer can initiate dialogue 24-7. Um, I, I think that's just a great benefit of allowing customers to do, to, to do business at a time that's convenient for them. Well, I think that's a really important point. I mean, who among us doesn't want to conduct our business when we have time and when it's convenient? Um, I know it's opened up a whole new world for a lot of us to be able to shop, to bank, to interact with people that we need to. Uh, on our schedule. So having child support provide those services is critical. And I'm sure much appreciated by the parents in, in your states. Uh, what practical implement, implications of your approach lead to best practices that could be adapted by other states? Carol? I'm not sure that I would say that we've arrived at uh, best practices at this point. We know we, we know what we, where we want to go, and we're looking at what's going on across the spectrum. And we feel that to, to some degree, we're still kind of in the middle of this experiment of seeing whether or not our approaches are actually going to be where we end up, or if it's, a, it's just part of the journey right now. I mean, we're essentially still, and if you've seen the, the news, you know, Alaska in particular right now is still in, a, in the middle of a pandemic, really. Yeah. Yep. So, so we've learned that distance delivery um, is is and can be very effective um, and that we can maintain service levels. And we didn't know this before because we've never done telework. So I think this whole concept of telework and how can we, you know, give our clients what they want on a, um, as virtual as possible continuing down that road is is the the areas that we're continuing to explore across the country for these programs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Michelle? Yeah, I would agree a lot with Carol um, that, you know, we were able to maintain services. We were able to think about new ways of serving our customers. 
I, I would agree that I'm not sure we're at a best practice place either. Um, I, I agree with Carol. I'm not sure this is where we're going to end up, but it seems to be where we're headed. We're definitely learning our lessons every single day still, and we're continually looking for areas to improve. I think what we have definitely found is that customers like being able to conveniently and virtually engage with you as long as you're giving them answers and, and solving their cases, right? And that's our goal. I do think that, you know, it's it's really important, particularly with something new, that you, you can't think of everything and you're not going to get it right the first time. So keep tweaking and evolving. And, and I think most importantly, listen to our customers, listen to our staff who are dealing with the customers about what work and what, do, what works and what doesn't and adjust. Um, I think, you know, as Carol said, I think we'll see over the next, you know, maybe year or so where, how we come out of this and where we end up. But I think that what we have shown is that we're able to maintain services in different ways. And maybe we're not already at the perfect way or the best way, but, um, but we're certainly getting there. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, this has been a time of experimentation, I think, for all of us, as we've learned how to do business differently in ways that I don't think we would have contemplated even two years ago. Um, and for sure, Michelle and Carol, I mean, you've both shared kind of a little bit of not only where you are in your journey, but a little bit of your lessons learned. And so, Lee, I turn it to you. What lessons learned or advice do you have to share with our audience? Thanks, Pat. I'd really like to build on something that Michelle said, and that's to be prepared to be responsive. Sometimes even the best laid plans just don't work out as we internally have envisioned. It's just a different experience for our customers, for our parents, for our partners. So be prepared to be responsive. Another lesson uh, that, uh, that is applicable to North Dakota, I'm not so sure it's applicable to everybody, but for us, a lesson for us was to get to the table. In North Dakota, we have a state IT department that develops and procures all of our software. So it was really helpful when when we got when child support got invited to IT's table to talk about the new products that they were considering because that way we could make sure that the products being considered, you know, really met the our needs and met the needs of our of the parents that we serve. That makes sense. And again, you provided me with a perfect segue for the next question, which is that technology moves so fast. How do you keep up and how do you continue to adapt and evolve? Carol, you mentioned you're looking kind of maybe down the road a little bit. What are you thinking? Uh, well, to just keep up, to start there, we we try to attend conferences when, when we have them. And then we, you know, what what's out there in the technology world of what kind of new things are coming down the pike and of course looking at what other states are doing but it's it's a real challenge and for us and for some of the, a lot of the other states still it's really hard for us to get on step with a lot of the technologies that we want to have and want to be able to use when we're dealing with our old computer systems that are very static and and difficult to work with so I would say uh, kind of segueing into your next one too about the trends that we're we're looking at is that we want to go toward what we see 
is uh, happening in the world really and that is that virtual totally virtual i don't think people want to come in places they don't want to stand in line they don't want to wait they don't want to have to even talk to you on the telephone if they don't have to and they don't want to read detailed information and brochures and things they want their information to be easily accessible quickly and they want to know where their things are in the flow and so our vision is to have that world for them uh, where we kind of step into the back and all of their information is out there very transparent for them to get to and find and uh, that's our goal that's our journey that we're uh, embarking on but we are definitely not there understandable uh, you have to start someplace and so you're you're down the road on that journey and you'll keep going Michelle, how do you keep up? You know, that's really hard. Um, it, it's IT does move fast. And, and as I said, we have a new system and it's still it's still challenging. Right. We, we still haven't caught up, you know, and and you're not always able to get the next best thing. I think this pandemic had allowed us to do something a little bit more drastic. And so we jumped on that. Um, there's no way in my mind at all that we would ever have been using zoom if if it hadn't been for this i don't even think we knew what it that it existed but you know we were forced to make some leaps and bounds which which was a really great opportunity um but otherwise it is really challenging we don't have the environment or the resources or or things to be cutting edge and, and in a lot of instances i'm not sure we want to be but i think the whole idea of virtual has just been so brought to the forefront by this, even though we were heading there, but we were heading there very slowly. And as Carol said, you know, this is a journey and, and we want to keep, keep going on that journey. But the more and more we're able to inch along, whether it be a leap and a bound because of something like the pandemic or, you know, coming out of it, continually improving on it, that's where we want to be. Sure. Lee, what trends are you seeing? I don't know that it's necessarily a trend, but what I see, what, what's happening in North Dakota is our, our statewide IT department um, is in the process of transferring all call centers from a soft phone. We use Avaya, so they're transferring call centers from the Avaya soft phone to Microsoft Teams with an added software called Anywhere 365 that will change the call center environment. This will allow call center reps to interact with customers by phone, by audio video, by text message, and by email. I think this, in listening to Michelle, I think it's going to be similar to the, the Zoom technology that her team is using. So I'm excited to, to start using this new technology. Um, as we look further down the road, what we're interested in doing is developing self-service portals similar to the types of portals that many medical service providers use. Ideally, we'd like to see these portal portals include like proactive notifications to parents and partners. We'd like to see interactive options um, and stuff like that. So that's that's what we're looking for down the road. And I'm sure all of those enhancements will be more than welcomed by the customers that we serve in our programs. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. So thank you for your perspectives and your insights on the technologies and how you've gone about bringing them into your programs in a very rapid way to either enhance existing services or to think about re-engineering entire processes. How do you measure customer service success within your program? Lee. So one of the ways that we measure customer service success is with a website tracking tool that allows us to see how a customer is navigating our website at a click by click level. So we can see if there's hesitation in their movement on our website, or if there's lots of backward clicks, we can see that that's an area that probably needs improvement because the customer is struggling through the navigation. So when we have a smooth transaction, we call that successful. That's one of the ways that we measure success in the program. Perfect. Michelle, how do you look at success? Yeah, I think, you know, similarly, we have a lot of things that track some of, of the interactions, like the website. We have a, a significant amount of um, tracking of what happens on our phones. Um, and so we we know a certain amount of things like that. In the past, we've done customer service surveys. We haven't in some time, but we're looking to do more of that now, particularly around our virtual counter and how, you know, what's the feedback we get from that. That's a work in progress for, for us. We haven't, um, we really only just have anecdotal information right now. Some of the ways that we do measure customer service success is a little bit anecdotal too. We know, and, and I think those of us in the child support program for some time really do, you know when customers are satisfied and when they're not. And, you know, for example, with our virtual counter, we've had, we've had positive feedback. We've had, okay, thanks, done, and, and no complaints. Um, and, and we've actually had very little negative feedback. So anecdotally, we're sort of measuring that as a success. We do want to be a little bit more concrete about that. And so we are looking into to surveys and whatnot. But, you know, our, our customers tend to be vocal. And so, you know, that's a gauge that we look at as well. Do, are we getting lots of calls of people, you know, of customers that are talking about a particular topic? And, and we look at that stuff every day. Why are they calling? What are they saying? What's the feel of the call center or the virtual counter or things like that? And, you know, that helps us too. But metrics also is, is a way to go and, and what we're also working towards. Well, sure. You want to look at all of, all of the aspects of the program. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Carol, what does success look like to you? Uh, we're very similar to what we're hearing from North Dakota and Massachusetts. Uh, we we want to see a reduction in calls um, in emails, basically in their need to contact us by seeing an increase in their use of the automated services. That to us is a big indicator of success that the the, the things that we're putting out there for them to use, that they are going there and using those. And we do like getting feedback. We have Facebook. People make comments on there. We have an online survey with our um, application for services. And, of course, um, like Michelle said, we don't uh, find that our clients are very shy. And they will tell us or they'll report up to whomever, whomever is available, up to the governor, sometimes to our uh, congressman. 
if they are unhappy with things. And, you know, those things are good because it allows us to pick apart what happened, where have we fallen down on communication or on our processes to really examine how we're doing it. So it is really a holistic view of the entire program. What are we doing? What are we hearing? Um, just like the other gals have said, we it's it's every aspect. Sure. Well, thank you, Carol. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Michelle, for sharing your perspectives and your experiences with us today. Delivering consistently excellent customer service to diverse program participants is really challenging. Each of your programs obviously continues to adapt and evolve, always focused on delivering the right information at the right time in the right way for each customer, furthering the mission of the child support program and your agency. Sharing experiences and lessons learned is beneficial for our entire child support community. We really appreciate your leadership. Again, I'm your host, Pat O'Donnell. Thank you for joining us today. On Location is available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. We have a lot of great episodes on the way, so be sure to subscribe and listen to all of our previous episodes as well. We also appreciate your ratings, your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us on the contact link on our website. On Location is a production of the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Mamlin and me. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Tim Leitner, and this has been On Location.